welcome to a brand new episode of Markers on the Map. Each week it's games, news, and more from the classics to the current gen as we explore gaming's infinite ever-changing landscape. Check out the gaming adventure on Twitter at Markers on the Map, and thanks for listening. McDonald's for dinner, Robert. You did? Yes. Weird. And I'm only saying that <laughs> because I know I said I had a way to start the episode this week, but it's more of a like, it, it's not a very like, <laughs> like a positive topic. It, it's it's ragging on Square Enix. So I just wanted to start off with that brief like, oh, look, I like out of nowhere, I had McDonald's for dinner. <laughs> oh, that's, you having McDonald's is kind of weird. I don't ever recall a single time where you had McDonald's for dinner. That is weird. I mean, we've hung out and I've had McDonald's for dinner before. That was dinner? <laughs> well, I mean, I eat early, so <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but, I mean, this like I've been having them chicken nuggets with the... So I get the sweet and sour sauce and the buffalo sauce, and I kind of, like, alternate between the two. Real good. That's all you get? Just the nuggets? Well, I got fries, too. <laughs> okay, so like, you just get nuggets, no fries, no drink? <laughs> no, no, I, I got a drink. Like, the, the, the McDonald's by me hasn't had Coke for, like months Mm -hmm. so i got a dr pepper and it actually was like real good i haven't had a dr pepper in a minute but yeah just wanted to get that little nice nice like a moment of levity uh here before i start going on and on and on at square enix before i talk about something else about square enix that's actually very good so what would you have for dinner uh i had costco pizza Ooh, and how was that oh it was pretty good it's always good Uh, can't complain it's costco pizza Pizza's pizza. Was it better than Blaze? Mm, I guess in the mood, whatever mood you're in, we had Blaze yesterday, so I guess in the moment, yeah, it was better because it wasn't Blaze. Yeah, that's all I really want to start this episode off with because, boy, do I got a topic. Um, And we have brought this one up in person. Um, I don't think we've ever brought it up on the podcast. But the question I had was... And this was something that I was going to start last week's episode with, but mm-hmm. since we're talking about Final Fantasy 16 on the podcast today, I was going to ask the question, what's up with Square Enix? Like, Square Enix is... Like, we've talked about how Capcom is on such a roll. Mm-hmm. Like, everything that Capcom comes out with, at least lately, um, has been, like, amazing. Like, top-level game. You've got things like Resident Evil 4's remake. You've got Street Fighter 6, Ghost Trick, one of the highest-rated DS games of all time, just got re-released, and on the day of recording, Exoprimal is something that, like, people are talking about and playing and really sinking their teeth into the little PvP-VE-type game. Um, And, of course, they've got, like, in the past couple of years, they've done things like Monster Hunter Rise, Monster Hunter World, Devil May Cry 5... Uh, Resident Evil Village and the 2 and 3 remakes before that. It's it's safe to say that most of what comes out of Capcom and most of the things that are coming out from Capcom in the future, um, you know, like Pragmata, they, they, they seem like safe bet games. But Square Enix, I just feel like they're in such a weird place where, like, for every Final Fantasy 16, you've got, you know, Square Enix published Babylon's Fall, which we know is, like, famously 
ended its live service updates and like playability in like a year's time um there was a final fantasy mobile game that was in the same situation there is harvest stella which is square enix's like I hear it's okay, but it's a farm sim, so it's kind of like feels trend chasey. There's Dealfield Chronicle, which is like another one of those strategy games. There's Triangle Strategy. There's Octopath Traveler 2, which I think is like the outlier here. But there's like a variety of games that just either don't sell like, you know, tons and tons of copies or are just fine in their genre. And then Square Enix will come out with something like a Final Fantasy VII remake or a Final Fantasy XVI um, I know they had Chocobo GP, and this one's actually an interesting case where the game released as, like, a live service kart racer where you'd have to keep buying battle passes and everything to get characters, and that flopped so hard that the game was recently re-released with all of the battle pass content unlockable in-game, so mm-hmm. no more monetization. So you gotta wonder, like, what's up with that? Doesn't that just seem uh, odd? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I know Final Fantasy is their bread and butter, but at the same time, everything else just seems so under the radar. Like, various day life. Like, I know we've seen that in a direct. It's like a... It's like a... Everyday tasked kind of game. It's so weird with Square Enix. When it comes to Square Enix, I don't know. They... I think a lot of companies do make questionable decisions. uh, But... Recently, with uh, with Square Enix, they they released the Avengers games, right? Yeah. yeah. So it was Crystal Dynamics, pub, uh, like developed and then Square Enix I published. Want, because it's weird. Because, but we're we're also talking about published games here. Like some of these are yeah. just published, not in house developed. Like Guardians of the Galaxy, a great game. See, for every great game though, it just seems like there's a ton that either aren't great or just so under the radar that yeah, nobody and talks. It, about. It's one of those things where maybe. Square Enix tries to like do something different. They try they they're trying to to try other things, but because it's kind of hard where it's like no matter how great this this other franchise uh same thing with Capcom, no matter how great Dino Crisis is such a such a like a, such a legendary like name and it's a game people want, no matter how much no matter how well it does, people still want a Street Fighter, Resident Evil, Mega Man game. Like there's, there. I think I don't think that's just like a like a Square Enix problem. I just think that people, even though a company will release something different and they try to expand their, you know, the work area, either publish something different or in-house work something different. I just think people have this tendency not to want to try something new. I'll if if you look at a lot sure. of what people want to be announced. Most of the time, it's remakes and sequels. It's never from a new franchise. I feel like it's so hard to launch new stuff and 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 all this stuff because I think they want to play it safe. Because I feel like t- more than ever, it's more dangerous to release something terrible. Because if you release something terrible like back then, it was wasn't a, such a financial hit to the company. They're like, okay, we sure. just messed up. Costs of AAA now, games yeah, have it's skyrocketed. skyrocketed. So it's it's such a big investment to where. Even like a single time them messing up and it's really really bad of like a such a major loss, it could really like cancel so many new projects or or push back a lot of new projects or even just straight up bankrupt the company at the end of the day. So 
does Capcom in this case feel like the anti Square Enix where they're releasing these very safe bets that are crowd pleasing games, whereas Square Enix is like I don't think it's a bad idea for Square Enix to release these smaller games, but the quantity of like remember Isle of Cards that um it's the one that's just played with cards and it's like a story on the Switch and everything. There are three of those and they all released within like a couple months of each other. Mm-hmm. That is like wild. <laughs> yeah, I I just I think it's one of those things where a lot of companies now don't they don't like to do new stuff, especially like Rockstar. You look at Rockstar in two thousand sure. and like the early two thousands. You can name five different franchises from that era from the from the two thousands. Now it's two. It's Red Dead, which I don't know when they're ever gonna make a third one, if they ever will. They stopped online and GTA and of course GTA has been in development for so long, but it's one of those things where they only do those two. They used to have, like, Midnight Club. They used to have the ping pong game, which is weird, but that was true. They had the Warriors. Yeah, war- Table Tennis. Yeah. That's the one I was thinking Warrior. They had the Warriors. <laughs> they had Bully. Movie. Bully. They had the, the Warriors, uh, yeah. They had so many different type of games because they have different type of studios. But now, since there's such one big studio, it's one of those things where it's like, if they find if they put so much money, like it, I think at the end of the day, it's just they don't want to financially be bankrupt where they invest so much into one project and it doesn't do as they wanted to. And now it's just like, Man, that that's just you know, that that's such a big loss, and so we're gonna have to stop the company. Okay, but where's Square getting the resources for a, either developing or publishing like all these canceled live services and all these tactical RPGs? It's staggering that like they can just keep pump like Square Enix releases more games than any of the big publishers. I think if I have to put even EA, geez, <laughs> if I have to be realistic. In the sense of what also could be happening behind the scenes, a lot of businesses have investors, and they don't want to unplease the investors, so they want to release something safe. It's it's mm. it's still a business at the end of the day. Like I said, gaming now is much more business than it was back then. Back then, you can start a small small studio and release tons of games, but now it's just like they can't have the business fail because it's not just the business themselves not just the ceo of that business or the president it's a lot of other people who invested their time and effort and it's a lot of employees as well too there's a lot of people who are employed by these companies that if they were to go down that's a lot of people out of work yeah Yeah, not to sound like very morbid on the topic not to sound like that's bad but it is just kind of like bet and it just it just works because sometimes you do just want the safer stuff you just want something that's just safe that's just like it, it will please the fan base enough to where they like it. And it's because sometimes it is just like, why do I want something new when I'm very, yeah. I still want the same thing. Cause it's not even like people are like companies are not willing to do it. It's just like, well, the, the, the community itself don't want that. What if they do want the, the, the same stuff because that's what they like. And that's nothing wrong with that. They'll just be like, we'll just give it, what they demand. Almost like the Capcom philosophy then. Because, like, with Square Enix, I can see Final Fantasy Remake, like, 7 Remake, making them enough money to recoup the sales of, like, Dealfield Chronicle, which I'm sure wasn't a top seller mm-hmm. at all. Um, but, like, they can afford to make these smaller games that are going to appeal to a certain sect of fans of certain genres. Whereas Capcom is like, yeah, we'll release something like a Phoenix Wright or a Ghost Trick, but we know people like those games. Um, and then every other thing that comes out of Capcom is this, like, intricately crafted AAA experience like Devil May Cry 5 and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Square Enix is just... Like, I'm not knocking Square Enix mm-hmm. um, because, like, it is cool that they are 
developing these niche titles like various daylight for harvestella for those fans that are into those genres in a non-indie space so it seems you know like again indie games have heart but these are these are indie feeling from i guess a higher a higher budget Uh um and you know if you're into those type of games you'd have to differentiate well do i like the indie version or the square enix um published version of this farming sim better Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I don't play them. I wouldn't. You know, the only far, farming sim I'm into is Animal Crossing. Um, but like, it's good for options to be there. It just seem. It's just a. It's just something that rattles around in my head mm-hmm. from time to time because Square Enix. It's Whiplash. Mm-hmm. They'll have a ten out of ten in my opinion masterpiece like Final Fantasy sixteen, and then they'll turn around and hit us with Babylon's Fall, uh, a completely disastrous failed service collab with Platinum Games. Yeah. So it's like, look, I feel like Platinum Games is almost the same way. They don't release as much, but it's either like one of the best games I've ever played or one of the like a really kind of like lukewarm experience i just think at the end of the day it's just them trying to please the pre already existing fan base but also it's just kind of like why do anything different this is what they want and to do something like i say yeah. when they release something like that at least now they have more in the budget to now maybe take a little bit a little bit of a risk but i just think it's the how gaming is today as a whole scene it's much harder to bring out something new and or, like even if it's not hard in Square Enix's case, it's definitely hard to get an audience for mm-hmm. some of these. Like Triangle Strategy, I don't think the audience for that is as big as they probably would like. No, yeah, it's like it's it's the idea of even when a game feels like it's a new idea, it's really not. Like when Overwatch came out, people now will tell you, oh, oh but Team Fortress Two was the first like hero shooter versus game, and then there was like Counter Strike mm-hmm. even before that. And maybe, like, it, it all goes down to something might feel different and new, but deep down it's sort of the, still the same idea that's been going around for a while yeah. now. Yeah, it feels like most game types have been made. Uh, props to Death Stranding then for, like, doing something different mm-hmm. back when that came out, but some things are also starting to, like, copy systems from that mm-hmm. too. Like, Death Stranding is what I'd go to for, like, the most current example of something that's slightly different. It's mm-hmm. not all different, but there are mechanics in that game that are like, okay, this is kind of new and exciting. Um, But that's that had a huge, massive Sony budget behind mm-hmm. it, so... Um, things like this can't happen, you know, every day. It's like, I'm sure Devil May Cry 6, if it ever comes out, if it ever gets announced, won't revolutionize Devil May Cry or anything, but it will be a solid character action game. <laughs> Are we still on the beginning? Have we not transitioned? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Um, I didn't know if this would take past 10 minutes, but I was like, it's been rolling around my head since we talked about it in person. I'm like, what's up with Square Enix? Oh, uh, okay. Uh, I just realized this is still the beginning of the show. Why? Uh, what a way to start off the show. Uh, what show are we yeah, doing here, Daniel? Well, we're, we're, <laughs> we're doing Markers on the Map, the weekly podcast gaming adventure. Glad you asked. This week, um, Final Fantasy sixteen. Uh, and a limited run games showcase happened, so we will do some highlights from the two of those things. Uh, but before we get started, my name is Daniel. I'm here with my good friend and co-host Robert. And the question that always gets asked, the most important question: How are you doing? Um, I guess fine. Uh, I've been the laziest I've ever been, and I'm being very. I, I've I've been pretty lazy this past like two weeks. I've been lazy. I think that, like, over a week, I guess that post-con depression really got to me because I've just been like, I don't want to do nothing else. But, like, 
that's just like man post-con depression but uh after you and me hanged out for a little bit watch we watched the new indiana jones movie um it's been it's great movie it's been hot but other than that i'm still pretty much fine it's just that you know uh post-con depression was just hitting and i've just been lazy but uh, i'm still fine it's not like it's i'm just fine how about you uh yeah post-con depression was real I know I'm also very hot. Um, the other depression that kicks in is that post-game depression. So uh-huh. this happens with long games. Um, I don't know. The last time it's really happened with me was Persona 5. Um, it might have happened with Death Stranding, Ghost of Tsushima, other really long games where you're like... I, I, like, I feel with Persona 5 and Final Fantasy 16, it's so different because you really are entranced by the characters and stories unfolding in front of you whereas ghost of tsushima and death stranding really follow the 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 story of a single character with a supporting cast like persona 5 and final fantasy 16 really ingrain you into the lore of the world so when you know when that 60 hours of final fantasy 16 is up you're like well what do i do now because after we got back from ax i went real hard on on final fantasy 16 Mm and beat it about in about a week um and that's like not counting the progress i made in the game before uh that that time mm-hmm. um i hadn't quite gotten to the halfway point before the the, the con i believe and this it was a ride um so yeah that's that's what i've been up to i haven't played much else mm-hmm. i've I'm I'm in that mode where I'm like playing things for like a couple minutes and saying, "Oh, I did play the new Mario Kart tracks, but we're not going to talk about those this week cuz um uh, I I've, I've put off Final Fantasy 16 here on the on the podcast for for long enough." Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so I guess I'll go ahead and get into that then uh if we're ready for Final Fantasy 16. We talked about the demo for Final Fantasy 16 a couple of weeks back and the demo does a great job of kind of illustrating the tone of the game and some of the combat. But what it does not prepare you for is that it is literally a high-speed roller coaster of a guy. I know that's like a choice quote from the state of play, but like they were not kidding. Um, this game just throws you right into a boss fight at the beginning, one of those icon fights. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should note that I'm not going to spoil any major story beats here. Um I guess if you're you if you haven't played and are intending to play, it, it might get a little like hinty. But I'm not gonna like outright spoil anything. There might be some mechanics that I need to talk about to really illustrate how I feel about this game. But I'm not gonna be like, oh, this person does this or this person does that, and mm-hmm. look what happens here in the play. This is like not not our not our game here unless we're doing a spoiler specific episode. Um, so the gameplay is. I would call it Devil May Cry Light, where it is not as technically demanding. You are not having to memorize, like, directional inputs Mm -hmm. with Clive's attacks. You are not having to do, like, forward-backward triangle to do, like, an air launcher attack or anything. Um, It basically boils down to square is your basic attacks. You can do a combo of four. Um, Triangle lets you use magic. You can hold down square or triangle to charge your sword or charge your magic. You can do a a hop off enemy's head if you want to do air combos. Um, but that's the basic moveset. Mm-hmm. There's also Phoenix Shift, but that's an icon power. So I'll talk about the icon powers. I, I won't talk about all of them, but I will talk about the early game ones. Um, ones that you usually would come across in the, the demo. Um, so there is Phoenix 
and Phoenix, like each of them have what's called an iconic feat. And that's icon, E-I-K-O-N, because that's what summons are called in this game. They are called icons, classic monsters that appear in like all Final Fantasy games. Um, So what Phoenix's iconic feat is, is it will allow you to do a teleport to the enemy. So it'll it'll do a a non-invincible like zip towards an enemy. Um, you can be hit in this, uh, I believe, and take damage. So it's like up to you to decide when is a great time to use it. Um, but you can use it to, you know, close the distance between you and an enemy, get some attacks in, do a, what's called a magic burst, hit a sword attack and then a magic attack, and you'll do like some extra damage with that. Um, there is Garuda, whose iconic feat is, um, I think it's Deadly Embrace. Oh, no, that's like a... Okay, so the way Gerudo's works is it's a pull. It will pull smaller enemies towards you. It will not pull larger enemies towards you, but it will pull smaller enemies towards you. Um, Be you in the air or on the ground, you can use it to get up and personal with midair enemies and start attacking them in midair. But the most useful thing with Garuda's iconic feat is the Deadly Embrace, where if you are fighting an enemy that is a stronger enemy, they'll have a stagger meter where if that stagger meter reaches zero, you'll have a couple of seconds to do really good damage against them while they're unable to move. Mm -hmm. But there is a halfway point through the stagger meter where you can use Garuda's Deadly Embrace, and that will give you a smaller but still significant moment where you can use one of your attacks against a monster. Then there is Titan, who was also in the demo, and with him you get the Titanic Block and what the Titanic block does is, it's since there is no block button, it's usually just R1 to dodge or, you know, Phoenix shift to, like, move out of the way. Um, the Titanic block will do what it says on the box. It'll block an attack. Mm-hmm. However, if you do a perfect block by hitting circle at the perfect time, um, you'll do a Titanic counter. And that'll allow you to get some, like, real big damage in. Um, so that is... It's pretty cool. It takes some getting used to. It's a little easier to pull off than parries because you can parry with, you know, an attack mm. at the same time, but it's much easier to do like precision dodges or these titanic blocks. Um, powers themselves. Each icon has three and then a fourth one, which is an AOE attack, an area of effect attack. Um, I don't find those to be like extremely useful, but the initial three are like pretty all right um for example you could have phoenix do like this scarlet it's called scarlet cyclone it's like a tornado attack it does big damage um if you combine his set with you know some uh ifrit's uh iconic moves um because i like ifrit and phoenix use the the same move set um you can have this one called ignition which is like a charging thrust that kind of puts him like it's kind of like driving a vehicle um and i used that for most smaller enemy mobs in the game like if you can get five or six enemies locked into ignition and like run them around the field for a while Mm. and then use scarlet cyclone you can just pretty much clear any encounter immediately um if they don't have you know an enemy with a stagger bar in them so that's a good way of like clearing enemies um garuda has a little tornado move that'll like launch you up it has a little claw move uh, like i think it's called gouge and these claws will they won't do much damage but they will do mad damage to this to the stagger meter um and then titan will have attacks where he'll have wind up where he will do a punch to 
like this whose strength depends on you know you holding down the button and then you know letting go at the right moment and then the same with upheaval which is an like not the area of effect move but a like it's similar to one where you will like hit the ground and damage the enemies around mm -hmm. you um the cool thing about these these moves and the moves of future icons that clive gets because you know based on the menu he's gonna get a ton more um if you master them by upgrading them not only will they be stronger and recharge faster but you can also start mixing and matching so if you don't want to use phoenix you can still have ignition and scarlet cyclone attached to garuda and still and still be able to use that deadly embrace even though you might not like any of garuda's moves and i'm embarrassed that i didn't realize this until i was about 75 percent through the game because i was trying to change some moves and i was like wait you can put other icons moves on other ones i had no idea oh, do that. oh learning something like through an entire game is one of the like worst feelings because you're just like man i really wish i had this had and then it's just it's in the game but somehow you just missed it to where they tell you how to do it because it rem I, I won't remember who it is but i remember there was this clip of this of this uh streamer playing legend of zelda breath of the wild and I, oh, I can she imagine didn't know the that there that was a side, like a side swap dodge, like that you could lock on and like just sidewalk dodge. And oh, it, yeah. it reminds me of that where yeah. that worst it, feeling. It was one of those moments. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> oh wow, like there was this thing this whole time, and I just like, oh, I really wish this was here. And oh man, I, I didn't know I could do. Matt and see now that got me thinking. Has it happened recently to me or anything else? But yeah, those are like the worst feeling. We're just like, oh, I could have done it the whole time. Yeah, because. Uh, you know the muscle memory really kicks in with phoenix shift because i really did like that zip but if i knew i could like train because i always got hit in the middle of it so it's like i definitely do not use it at the opportune moment so if i could switch over to um one of the the more spoilery mm -hmm. um icons you get a, a hold of so there's an icon that i will not name that has just a normal dodge instead of um a titanic block or your um phoenix shift or your regular dodge but this dodge will have an effect like if you get a perfect dodge with this particular icon it will absolutely turn the tide of battle so this is this is very much a late game thing mm. that you get um i won't for spoiler's sake of course spoil what it is but it is it it quickly became my favorite one to use specifically because if you're good enough at dodging, even if you're bad at dodging, it still seems like it does something when you use it. Um, not to mention that particular icon has such a quick recharge on their on their moves to where you can just keep using this charge move and then you can keep using this quick blast move that just seems to do so much damage. Um, it's like, obviously, I, I really want to say it, but like it, it's such mm. a pleasure that that came like when things were starting to ramp up in difficulty. Um, so the rest of the gameplay is separated quite uniquely, I will say. So it, it, it goes between you having levels, stages in the vein of Devil May Cry. There are a handful of stages in the game. When you're not doing stages, you have not an open world, but you do have some semi-open areas where you're doing side quests. And these side quests... So Final Fantasy 16 is led by a lot of the people that do the FF14 stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's got an MMO feel to it, um, despite the gameplay being nothing like an MMO. The quest design for a, a while does. Um, and 
in the beginning they're they're quite mundane. Um, later on, they'll be, you know, more elaborate. But what sucked me into it was the the lore of the world. This game it does a really good job of making you care about even the smallest side characters. They all have something because this is such a like we've talked about The Witcher Three having a very like mean world. Like this world is out to get you. Um, in in Final Fantasy Sixteen, the world is out to get magic users. Mm-hmm. Um, because some people are born as magic users, so they are branded with like a poisonous ink to make sure that everybody knows that they are magic users it's and like that a, these people are despised. It reminds me of X Men, how the world doesn't like mutants. Sure, it's like they're they're like mutants. Yeah, they don't they, and they don't like them. Yeah. So the world is pretty much against the, the magic users, but they're using them. They're kind of like tools for people to use, um, which is weird because like the dominance, the controllers of these icons are also magic users, but they're revered as having like mighty powers, mm-hmm. the powers of these icons within them, the power to transform and to call upon these magic abilities. Um, so the story can get like dark in places. There are moments of levity, moments of comedy, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it's like the the characters you encounter you are helping them through troubles caused by a lot of times their magic users or you're you're trying to have a like a small town that shows up early in the game mm-hmm. um with a person who's like having magic users like safe there and you know away from those who would use them or like exploit the magic users um because there is a disease i believe in the game where if they if they use too much magic they will turn into crystals um so the world does get to be kind of dour and dark um but it's so interesting it's so captivating what i will say is that the side quests i would not call them mandatory for enjoyment of the game specifically because of the nature of a lot of them being more fetch quest type for side quests um i feel if you were just in final fantasy 16 for the action game aspect of it it is totally okay to skip the side quest i'd say play them if you're into the lore but i do not consider them integral to the experience now like for me i was aiming to do everything 100 percent this game i did all side quests all monster hunts all chronolith trials all that stuff but I don't think I would do all the side quests again. Um, so, thankfully, for a side quest that, like, upgrades your inventory and stuff like that, they are marked with a special sign. So you know, oh, this five-minute thing will get me, you know, an additional slot for potions so I can heal, you know, more often. Um, but if you're not super into lore and world-building and you're more into this gameplay-first mentality, then I'd say a good 95% of the side content is skippable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does range, like, its quality does range from mundane to masterful. Um, but, like, it's not something I would say, oh, you gotta go play the side content. You gotta do this side quest. You gotta do that. Like, I don't think any of them are even reached the... I don't think any of the side quests quite reach the lows of the main story, which is just out of control. Like, gotta be one of the most out of control main stories i've i've seen in a minute so with you know gameplay design out of the way um the stages themselves are 
incredibly long sometimes and sometimes they can be you know about 20 minutes long um there's not as many as you might think for a game that's 55 hours uh when it, it took me 55 hours to do all quest chronoliths and uh monster hunts um so there's not as many stages as you might think but they are spectacular so we've talked back before this game came out about how square enix said or at least somebody said that Final Fantasy 16 wasn't aiming to be the most graphically impressive game on the uh-huh. PS5. Um, yeah. Uh, so, here's what I'll say. Is it the most graphically impressive game on the PS5 would be the question. No. Absolutely not. Now, does it? Do, does this feel like a, PS5, a true PS5 exclusive game? Absolutely. Um, and I'll get to that reason in a second. Um... Like, aside from the no loading, because there is no loading. It's Ghost of Tsushima and Spider-Man levels of no loading. Um, So, I guess the bad here is that there is a frame rate mode, which targets 60. And I will say, it it hits 60 when it matters. Mm -hmm. When you go into combat, the frame rate will be 60 most of the time. However, out of combat, I'd say it, it probably goes below 30. Um, which is interesting because it will go below 30 or at least hovering around there in like low density environments, environments where you could be sure that this game should be running at 60 on frame rate mode. Um, it's just weird to me. Like I, I'm saying this because I know we, we go on about games that should be like Starfield. We're like Starfield could, you know, but like, so I have to kind of like, give it a (laughs) i have to be like look this game should be 60 on frame rate mode in these low density areas Mm -hmm. um there's really no excuse in my opinion for that um but when it matters gameplay wise um it seems like it's it's fairly stable now what impresses me the most about this game are the boss fights and this is why i think this game is like probably the most impressed i've been with with a next gen game or current gen we can start calling it game mm-hmm. um the boss fights the the not only does the frames like hold up on the boss fights but they are the most jaw-droppingly spectacular set pieces and i am saying like nine out of ten of them are set pieces um of just pure adrenaline like some of these bosses are 40 minute sequences with multiple phases where you are doing the highest level of combat with flashy qtes of dodging and you know doing cinematic clash attacks and then you'll have these transformations into ifrit and you will fight icon versus icon in the new high bar for boss battles um think to things like god of war 3 and you will have something that's like a tenth as impressive as most of the boss fights go down in final fantasy 16 there is a boss that i will not spoil the name or the context of because both name and context are very important to like there's so much weight behind the boss battles so even giving the name or the context would i think ruin the experience but there is a boss fight where you are fighting something in your iconic form and it turns into a different genre afterwards Uh it turns into this like runner game where you're sprinting towards the boss and then you're fighting you know this giant 
city-sized monstrosity while its many arms are coming down on you. And then the fight will end with a surprise that I dare not spoil on here because it is just too unbelievable to, like, even comprehend in the moment. To where, like, you're shaking, you got, you sweating, it's, it's just incredible. There are other scenes like the, like, the Garuda fight early game, um, where you will first embody Ifrit and you will not feel strong as you are fighting up against this icon, but as the battle progresses, this... I don't even know how to describe it. It's a sequence where you are getting stronger as you're fighting, and it's... Trees are breaking down. Everything's blowing up. It's wild. Um, there is one, like, 75% of the way through that, you know, context included has to be the most visually impressive thing I've seen in any game, and I'm counting games like Horizon Forbidden West. I'm counting games like Red Dead Redemption 2 is, like, visually striking. Like, this is hands down, like, the most impressive sequence I've ever seen in a game. Um, and while it's doing that, it's very fun to do these these battles. It, it doesn't get stale. And the genre shifts in boss fights. Sometimes it'll be like I said, this runner game. Sometimes it'll be like you've got walls and you're having to like dodge through paths, or it'll be like a near automata style like shoot 'em up battle. Um, some of them like um, I don't want to spoil a couple of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, it's it's really hard to do it justice without you seeing the visuals of it. I, I know I told you this the other day. I said it, it's going to be hard to convey just how like impressive it is without the visual behind it so i guess during podcast times you will just have to take my (laughs) word for it um but in all the i'm i don't know how many hundreds of games i've played but i don't think i've ever gone back to replay a 40 minute boss fight until i did uh this particular one yesterday um the music changes for each phase the story implications are amazing and the finale is so just incredibly epic it's like man it's it's unbelievable this game is so good it's it's easily a front runner for game of the year uh for myself uh right now um after final fantasy 15 being the crushing disappointment that it was it's good to see that square enix just not only turned around but they didn't make an rpg they made an action game. Mm-hmm. You could say God of War and Ghost of Tsushima have more RPG elements than Final Fantasy 16, and you wouldn't be wrong. There is literally more like grinding and crafting material stuff in in you know those two games than there is in this. Um, skill trees are not complicated. Uh, skill points can be refunded at any time. So if you're sick of using this power, if you didn't quite like this power, you can just refund the points and switch it to something else. Healing and you know accessories for your character are minimized to like here just get the new weapon that's stronger you don't have a selection of things it's just like here you have the material to make the next iconic weapon do that here's something that'll improve your attack by 12 this mission will give you something that'll improve your attack a little more this quest will give you something that does you know increases your damage output by five percent it's so streamlined it's so fun it just more games should aspire to do what this game has done and reinvigorate remake or reinstall the idea of a franchise um 
definitely if this is someone's first Final Fantasy, I mean, like, it'd probably be hard to go back to the turn-based nature of, like, Final Fantasies 1 through 10. Um, you know, everything after that started becoming a little more experimental, but it, it's definitely, like, at home with the best action games, your Bayonetta, your Devil May Cry. This is a masterpiece, in my opinion, and definitely worth any praise. Clive is, like, the best protagonist I've seen in a game in, in years and years, and yeah. I know I'm gushing, <laughs> but, man, <laughs> that's that's my piece on, on Final Fantasy sixteen. <laughs> quite a piece you got you had to say about it so i'm sure we've had enough final fantasy 16 for for one episode so pokemon drip black and white this week lenora the second gym leader normal type gym leader lenora is an archaeologist i believe Mm -hmm. um what i will say so she's got like this cape and mm-hmm. she's got you know a shirt and like a like a shirt with a ribbon and she's got the pants the shoes and her hair matches her pants i like the colors that she's got going on like this kind of muted green and tan with the like reddish brown accents mm-hmm. i think it's like an interesting color set first of all i think this is the best outfit i've seen in a long time I will consider this entirely drip. The color all match. They all, like, complement one another. And they're not overly bright, but yet they're not overly just dull colors. And they they just complement each other so well. And the character that... Yeah, it's just... It's like the color theory here at work is, like, it, it resonates. This These are colors that I would combine on, like, a creative I character. Like, I like the pants. I think the pants are really cool. Uh, I like the whole. Yeah. I just like everything about the outfit. I like the belt. I like the it works. Pants. I like the it shoes. Matches. I like the cape sort of coat thing that's going on. I like the hair. I like the like the hair. I guess it would be a band. I don't know how to, it's like a. Um, it's like a headband. It's like a headband. I like everything about this outfit. I would consider this drip. Um, I would too. I don't know if it's actually my favorite in the series, but it's definitely like you said the best we've seen in a while because we did have like the dry spell of Pokemon Diamond and Pearl with like. You know, one of them I think we we thought was okay, and the rest we thought were like, eh. Now, black and white is where the designs start to come back. Like, later on, we'll have Alesa, who is, like, the definition of drip. But for Lenora, I'd say for my personal ranking, um, color is what I'm looking at. Like, color is what stands out to me about um, Lenora's clothes, especially the pants matching the hair. I'm going to go ahead and give her a four Bidoofs out of five. Mm. I might do this as a five out of five for me. Everything about it is she, just she drip. Is pretty cool. It's just drip. Everything about it. I just it. like Lenora. She's always been so cool. <laughs> um. So yeah, next week, I'm forgetting who the third gym leader of Pokemon Black and White is because it's been years, so I guess we will just see next time. <laughs> All right. Our last little segment here this week is news, and we have a couple things to talk about, and mm-hmm. then we'll talk about some highlights from Limited Run Games. So first of all, EA EA's new studio Cliffhanger Games is doing a Black Panther game. They haven't really shown anything from it, but they did announce it. That's interesting because I remember hearing something about a Black Panther Captain America game uh not that long ago, and I don't know if this is the same or different or if it's just got reworked. Um I'm all for more one superhero type games, kind of like Arkham, but the I guess the fear with stuff like this is that can they do the character justice? Um, 
I'm a fan of Black Panther. I really do like uh, Black Panther. I'm like yeah. fairly new, like entered like I was fairly new into but I everything about Black Panther I really do like. Um everything about Black Panther low key reminded me of Spawn a lot and I really like that. I was just like yeah. this th- I really like this character now cuz he has a cape, Spawn has a cape. I really do like uh Cape Black Panther is really cool, but for a solo based game, hopefully it's more in the realm of Arkham City, you know, Guardians and Spider-Man and stuff like that, yes, where it's yes, like yes, yes. a much better built, fun, just single player superhero game and not something weird and something out of, I, I think out of the one thing all superhero games could work 100% most of the time, it is an action adventure open world game. Sure. Anything than that, it could, it's just, it'll, it'll just really have to. Or give it levels, stages. Like, if it can't be open world, at least get... Like, I could see a Black Panther, you know, hack and slash, like Devil May Cry. I could see it. Maybe, yeah. I mean, like, what, Arkham Arkham Asylum's sort of like that as well. You don't really walk around an open map. You just go through the story. Asylum's more closed than cities. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I could see that. I just think at the end of the day, it has to be an action-adventure. And I think it just has to either be open open world... Or it could be just a straight to narrow like Devil May Cry, Metal Gear Solid, where it's just like you do kind of have you know a lot I mean, of even free Guardians liberty. Felt a little more linear. Yeah, kind of right? like that thing, like that style, where it's like it's just from beginning story to end of story, and you can explore a little bit of the area before you go on to the next area. Stuff like that just works. But yeah. I guess with, with Black, I guess it's like with Black Panther. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of material to work with, and there's a lot to really build upon. Uh, the character and the materials and outfits they can use with it. So there's a lot to to use. Hopefully they utilize that and they and they put a lot into the game. Ho- like I said, hopefully it's on the scale of you know the Batman, Spider Man, Guardians games, and not like Midnight Suns fine, but it's not. I guess the superhero game. Well, Midnight Suns is in our is it? Yeah, it's, a, like, it's a not strategy what people expected. RPG. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, I like. As somebody who's played some Midnight Suns, um, it's it's so calm. It's like XCOM. It's literally XCOM, but superheroes um, and card game. Um, but that's a whole other topic. Uh-huh. Um, I, I guess I will use this also to say, you know, like, since Avengers is delisting here pretty soon, the Black Panther content and gameplay is the best part about that game. And it is, of course, free for everyone um, who has a copy of Avengers. I'm sure copies won't be, like, expensive anytime soon because the game's delisting. Um, definitely... That Black Panther stuff in that one, very good. And he's voiced by Christopher Judge. You know him as Kratos. Yeah. <laughs> um, moving on here, a couple more things. Twisted Metal got it finally got a trailer that shows like the tone of the show. Like, what's the show going to be about? Like, yeah. we had the trailer with Sweet Tooth and Anthony Mackie in the casino, and then we had the yeah. first one that's just like, oh, this is Twisted Metal. We finally got a look at like car combat and like plot and everything. It looks like a good time. I will say I'm very excited for this. It is, I think, what the the, the original side of Twisted Metal was, was it's just funny. It's yeah. just supposed to be vehicular combat, funny, good times. And it's, it's sort of like taking this idea, of, it reminds me a lot of Mad Max, the idea of... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, But obviously Mad Max was super like, desolate like there was no actual like safe place but at least in this world yeah. it has like safe cities and safe but it sort of kind of builds that like hierarchy where everyone who i guess was a non-violent criminal or even just criminals in general are not you know they were they, they were brought into those safe places and then all the criminals were thrown out of, of everywhere so now they're fighting for like the wastelands and like the unlawed areas of of the of the planet now 
And it's sort of kind of have a Death Stranding theme because it has uh, Anthony Mackie uh, playing an, an original character, I, I, I believe so. Um, yeah. He's a delivery boy. He basically delivers packages. He delivers packages from A to B, so his story is basically how the life of it is of a daily pa- uh, delivery person is because he's been giving the ultimate task. It will just say, I guess this is the plot, the ultimate task of delivering in a very important package and that he will be rewarded very high if he completes the mission. So it seems like he gets into a lot of weird situations trying to deliver this package. Maybe that's just the first episode plot and they will drop in, like, introduce the real plot. Or maybe that is the whole plot show where at the end of the episode, he might have to just finally deliver that package or not and see what happens. But, I mean, <laughs> it looks like fun because it's, it's, it's Mad Max, the vibe of, you know, vehicles, vehicular combat outlaws and these like kind of wild days of of that and and it's just someone trying to finish their job and it just has funny elements and funny jokes but it kind of works i guess for twisted metal because it's sort of the idea of isn't there the character that's just like a wheel like right yeah he's he's attached to wheels exactly yeah so it's like that's the whole point of like is meant to not be taken as serious it meant like the yeah. scene might be serious but the jokes around it are meant to be like like oh this is meant to be a funny thing it's embracing the malleability of twisted metal because we have silly uh installments of twisted metal we have super gritty serious installments like twisted metal black and then we have like the ps3 version which is this in between the the comedy and the serious of like twisted metal 3 4 and and black um so we'll see if we can uh, discuss some episodes as they kind of launch. I think it starts at the end of July. Um, not to mention, Twisted Metal 1 and 2 are coming to PS Plus if you are on premium as some PS1 classics. So it's kind of Twisted Metal renaissance right now. Let's go. Mm. <laughs> um, so that's cool. Um, for lack of time, we will talk about some LRG3 highlights. And then if we have any other ga- there, there's some games we'll talk about, maybe limited games, re- uh, releasing, um, in next week's episode. But this week we wanted to get those main three, I think in there, mm-hmm. um, limited run games has a thing called carbon engine where they, uh, are able to easily, I guess, port games from super Nintendo PS one, stuff like that to modern consoles, um, so I think the, like, while we will probably talk about some other ones, uh, next week, this week, I think the most important three are three of those carbon engine games, mm-hmm. um, with new physical releases coming. The first one we talked about before, um, but it bears repeating Jurassic Park collection, a collection of Game Boy, NES, and SNES Jurassic Park games, I believe. Yes. It seems to be like Nintendo, no Genesis from what we seem so it doesn't have any of the Genesis titles, but it's mostly Nintendo product uh, ports of the Jurassic Park first game. So obviously it's just the first game that was released on Game Boy, NES, Super Nintendo, the first one, which we've done an episode on the Super Nintendo version. Yes, we... episode 100. We did that Jurassic Park oh, Super wow, Nintendo we did. game. It was a trip. <laughs> uh, and then it's Jurassic Park 2, The Chaos Continues. Uh, so it's sort of a, one of those, the sequel, uh, a, a sequel didn't exist. So they just made up a sequel for like, and, it, and it's a game tie in. So, I mean, obviously I'm excited for it. It's a Jurassic Park Super Nintendo port, which it's one of those things where I, I never thought I would see that happen, but here we are in, here in 2023 and it's happening. So, uh, I'm excited for it. Let me ask you, have you played all the games on this collection? Before, I have played Chaos Continues. I have played the Super Nintendo ones. I've not played any of the NES or Game Boy ones. 
Are you excited for those? Uh, I'm excited, but I'm really obviously excited to replay like Chaos Continues and the Super Nintendo because I heard they're bringing more like really needed things. QOL like, stuff. Yes, so it's like it. Yes, Jurassic- save states. I'm sure maps. I'm sure. Let's cross our fingers for a rewind. Maybe. <laughs> I've always said this. Jurassic Park, the first game, is honestly not a bad game. Just the biggest downfall is that it has a very La- very like big lack of direction and also there's no save state so you have to beat it in one go and it's pretty you're long. talking about the one we played yes right? it's pretty long you saw yes, how long it took us to and beat the it. way you have to navigate around things mm-hmm. you, there's no shortcuts to unlock you're just literally having to go around this mountain type area every single time it was wild and there's no like weapon or like health upgrades you're just stuck with the weapons type you are given and there's no way to upgrade them or like it's just like there could be a lot of things, but at the end of the day, it's still a very, it's it's a fine game. It's just the two things it needed was just better directions how to defeat the game and just save states because so, no one can put like yeah, it's at least an hour to beat the game. Yeah, and they are stressing that these are the original versions of these games, so any QOL stuff will be ancillary, I'm sure, kind of like your save state menus in Mega Man Collections or Ninja Turtles Collections, like, not actually in the game. You might be able to bring up a map through a collection menu and be like, or, or, you know, TMNT, the Cowabunga Collection, has, like, guides that tell you, like, tips for the games and stuff like that. I imagine stuff like that will be thrown in here. Um... There'll probably be concept art. I wouldn't put it past them to have like a gallery of concept art, maybe a music player, as some classic collections are want to do. Um, so that's very exciting. Um, knowing Limited Run, it's probably going to have a nice big collector's edition, which is cool. I'm actually looking forward to this myself. Now, even, I don't want to say even bigger, but I'm like, probably even bigger for me, um, Clock Tower. Yeah. Never before released in Never. Uh, the U.S. This is the first official release of Clock Tower. It's one of those things where it's been talked about for so long. It's, I believe, it is like at least the most well-known first survival horror. It's what built on the idea of there's no fighting these villains. You have to just survive. And it's like, yeah. do this task and this task and command this task and stuff like that. And it's like a point-and-click game. And it's very well done for being a Super Famicom game because it was never a Super Nintendo game. So, finally, actually, because there have been, quote-unquote, ports. It's been emulated. But this is, like, the first time where they're saying this is an official, like, translation of what, like, what the game is. We're getting, We're doing official things for it. So it's still maybe where, like they said, they're getting a lot high-end translators to be like, this is what this plot really is about, or like, this is what they're actually mean, or this is what they're saying. And they're adding more like animated cutscenes. They're just adding a lot more to being an official release of the game because it's been re-released in the Japanese market, but never has it even just remotely been released in the american market and people just know about it they talk about it they know about it but it's just never been released yeah there's been some american releases some of the spiritual sequels have come out in america like haunting ground from ps2 um but we've never had an official release of that original classic clock tower very eerie music very like so tonally just like scary um so uh looking forward to having a physical copy of clock tower for the switch in 2024 um and lest we not forget the gex trilogy maybe gex trilogy yeah (laughs) this was actually pretty shocking uh but it's a really good surprise um gex saved e3 2023 so give it up for gex (laughs) give it up for gex baby uh 
Are the Gex? Uh, I believe this is the original 2D Gex and then the two 3D ones. So it, Enter the Gecko and then whatever the third one is called. It's one of the things where is Gex actually a good game? I don't know, but it's Gex, so I'm still gonna I'm still gonna do it because you know it's Gex. Why is not? it a good game? Hmm, who knows? Is it funny? Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Gex is the king of one-liners. It's like recording a podcast on Friday's house. <laughs> oh man. Oh. That's good. That's I actually kind of. It, it's one of the things where there's like two more games that need to be re-released. One of them has a very high chance to actually happen, but one of them is like, oh, that's such a, that's such a, that's a big dream that I don't know if it will ever happen. What are they? Uh, Haunted Mansion for the PS2 and uh, Prince of Persia. Oh. But since seeing the other limited I, I run think, release, okay. <laughs> Prince of Persia has a higher I chance think, of being released. Yeah, I think so. We'll talk about Karateka uh, in next episode. Yeah, but yeah, I do think Prince of Persia does have a higher chance of being re-released now, especially with Digital Eclipse's new thing, which we'll talk about next week because mm-hmm. we got to save some of this for. <laughs> so we went a, a little over time, but I just had so much to say about Final Fantasy 16 because, like, I don't want to forget anything. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I forgot. I'm sure after I record, I'll be like, oh, I forgot something. But hey, man, we spent a lot of time. Plus, our intro topic was <laughs> it's a long one this week. Anyway, Robert, would you say we've done an episode? Yeah, that should wrap it up. All right. We want to thank you guys so much for listening. Please follow us on our Twitter at Markers on the Map and listen to us on Apple Podcasts where you can leave a five-star rating and review, download an episode, and subscribe. And we we are also on Google Podcasts and Spotify if you're into those. Uh, We do like to end every episode with a world-famous video game quote. And this one, really, this one in the feels, man. You know, Eddie. We really are the Wendy every which way. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Later.